0: I have so much to say and so little time to do it in, um, but I know that I will have grace if I go beyond 30 minutes uh, into half an hour, perhaps. Yeah. So what I want to ask you is, have you ever considered what your identity is? And, you know, we can look at things, for instance, your talents or maybe a skill set, but that is only one portion. You know, if you're an, a very good runner, then in one place you can be a runner but you cannot be a runner everywhere if you're a good carpenter you can be a carpenter at some places but not all over so I want to say that our identity does not really come from our skills or our talents our identity how we give our time how we love where we go where we don't go what we say what we don't say how we give our money All of this is determined by who you think God is. So if you don't believe in God, you'll do things one way. If you believe God is an angry God, you'll do it in a different way. That determines your identity. If you believe he's a loving father, you have a different way of doing things. So your identity is determined by who you think God is. That's where your identity lies. He's the source of our identity. So if you can put up Exodus 20 verse 7, we see that God says, you shall not take the name of your Lord God in vain. So for the exercise, those of you who don't know, as I have a passion for Hebrew. I taught myself a bit of Hebrew. I like the Semitic text more than the modern text, but for the sake of this, I will just write down a couple of things. So let's start with the word take. So we have the word nasha. So nasha, it's got two forms it has this form and the other form is. So nasha means to take, it means to lift up, to bear, or to present. So name is shem. Shem means your character, your authority, it means name as well character. And then vain, that's shuv. So shuv means to do something falsely. It means uselessness. It means lying. Actually, in Deuteronomy 5 verse 20, we see a good application for it, where it says, you shall not be a false witness. So Exodus 20 verse 7 can be translated, do not present the character of the Lord your God falsely. So it's more than saying His name wrong or applying it wrong or just using it as a swear word. It is His character. Now, do you think God will expect us to keep His character present it truthfully if it's not in us? So when He created man, Genesis 1 verse 27, when He created man, man and woman, He created them. That word create, bara, has as its root barar, which basically means to fill up, to fatten. It has some divisions. That is bar, which means to, to fat. Bari, to shine with fatness. So bara means to fill up. And what did he fill us up? With his likeness. But we know with his image. That's actually the, he said, in his, he will create us in his likeness and in his image, and then in his image, he filled men. So, if God is invisible, we have a lot of texts for that, that says God is invisible. And for, to cut the time short, I will not quote all of them, but John 1 verse 18 is a good one. No one hath seen God, but the one that's better is probably 1 Timothy 6 verse 7. That says, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to the one wise God. So, he's invisible. 17, not 7. So, I no, don't know why that's not the same as what I wrote here. Maybe I wrote the wrong book. In any case, God is invisible. So if we have his image, but yet he's invisible, what did he put in us? So the Hebrew word for image is tzelem. So the word tselem has as its root tzel. Now just to give you an idea of what tsel would be, there we have a man and there we have an image. We have a shadow of him. So tel refers to the shadow. So tselim refers to something that is somewhat like a shadow. It is a representation. So when God created man, he placed a representation of himself in man. Now if I had to draw a little block here, that color there, it's white. Why is it white? Science will tell us it reflects all light. The board is black because it absorbs everything, all visible light. Spiritually, what does that mean? If it's white, you reflect everything. All God's wisdom just gets reflected. If it's black, you absorb it. You absorb it. So what is a shadow? It's something that has absorbed God's goodness. So he's put something in man that has absorbed man. So... We have the word "salem," and that is what he placed inside of us. He placed a man inside of us. Now, if we go and look at Jeremiah 13, from verse 1 up to verse 11. But if we go to Jeremiah, we see that God gives Jeremiah an instruction. He says, go and get a cotton or linen cloth and bind it around your waist, your loins, as a girdle. And you don't take it off, and you don't wash it. Many days, many days this young man wore this girdle. Can you imagine what that girdle looked like? What it was like? It was hard. It was firm. It actually took on the shape of Jeremiah. If he had taken it off and placed it, that girdle would have stood. It would have shown what Jeremiah looked like. Then God tells him, take that girdle and go to the Euphrates River and put it in a cleft of a rock. Beautiful, beautiful words. Cleft of a rock. I've read that somewhere. But this is what he has to do. Go and hide it in a cleft of a rock. So he does so, and he goes back to Jerusalem. And the Bible says, after many days, God tells him, go and collect it. So he goes and he collects it. And he sees that this loincloth is now tattered. It is shattered. It's good for nothing. And he says, God, now what is this? And God says to him, This was my plan with Israel. I wanted Israel to be like the girdle, to shape around me, to form around me, to cleave onto me, so that they can be, for me, a tribe and a name, an honor and a glory. But they would not listen. So Israel was supposed to show, present the character of God. But they would not listen a lot of symbolism in that euphrates river because beyond the euphrates river were the babylonians and they actually came to destroy israel that's why their cloth loin cloth had to be full of holes at the euphrates because it's from there that they were destroyed so why did God choose Israel why didn't he use the Canaanites or the Midianites why did he choose Israel What is so unique about Israel that God wanted them? And I think there's some answer if we look at the whole story. So if you go to Genesis 25, verse 25, we will see the birth of a twin. And there's something quite unique, something I quite like there. I'm going to write it in the Semitic text because it's so beautiful. And then I'll write it in modern Hebrew as well, just so that because I want to write another word that looks very similar to this. And the poeticness of this is so beautiful. So what we have here is a picture of an eye to see. What we have there is the sun on the horizon. It marks time. But it's also when something is finished, it's done. It's behind you. There we have the floor plan of a tent. It symbolizes a family. It can symbolize a church. It can symbolize a person, a being, so when I see behind the being, when I see the back end of this person, this word means buttocks or heels, whatever protruded, so this is heel, then there's another letter, there's a hand, so when I see a hand on the heel, the heel is pronounced Yakov. the hand on the heel. Yaakov, his name means hand on the heel. It's beautiful. I mean, there it is. It's exactly what it is there. Now, when we read a bit further, verse 27 says that Yaakov was a plain man. So he was plain. The word plain is tam in Hebrew. Again, Syrian text, tam. So tam, that is a sign of a cross. Its purpose is to mark something. That is the mem marks water. So whatever this name is, is a mark for water. So being plain, being perfected, we sang about being perfected, having lack of nothing, draws the picture of something that marks water. In a desert, what would mark water? A palm tree. So a palm tree is tamar. This is tam, this is tamar. So a palm tree is the chief mark of water. So we have a picture here that something marks water. And it's the palm tree. But the palm tree represents something that is plain, but perfected. And that is Jacob. We read in Job 1 verse 1 and in verse 8, Job was a perfect man and upright. So also, perfect is Tom. But he was also upright. Just want to double check myself what... Yep, so it's... That's another way of saying righteous, yashar. So we... The reason why I put that there is because I'm gonna come back to, to that idea. So we follow Jacob's story. He's an excellent negotiator. He waits his time. He has this idea, he wants the birthright. He waits and he waits and he waits till the time is perfect. And then he makes the deal. He doesn't coerce Esau into it. He just presents the deal to him and says, I want to buy it. He's an excellent negotiator. And Esau sells his birthright. When it comes from Isaac to bless them, we know that the idea to, to commit the deceit seems to come from Rebecca. But Jacob coaches her. He says, now, wait a minute, the smell, we need to fix that. The hair on the arm, we need to fix it. So he tells her his negotiation skills are Excellent. So when he comes to his father, he announces his presence. And his father says, come here. And he says, who are you? And he says, I'm Esau. So he says, come closer. And he touches his arms. He says, yes, it is. He smells him. He says, that is Esau. But the voice is not. So he gets the blessing in any case. Esau is now so angry he wants to kill him. So he now flees. To his father Laban. Laban happens to mean white. So we know spiritually what he was like, ignorant. So he goes to his father Laban, and we read in Genesis 28, um, I think it's verse eleven. We see this. As the sun sets, he takes a stone, takes it as a pillow, sleeps on it. He has this dream, this vision, the ladder angels ascending and descending, God on top of it, and God speaks a blessing over him. And this blessing is similar to the blessing of Abram, but then God says something. He says, I will not leave you until I've done all that I've said. So he wakes up the next morning, amazed by this dream, he puts the stone upright, anoints it, and now he negotiates with God. He says, if you do what you say, Said in the dream, I will give you a tithe. And if you bring me back safely, then you will be my God. He negotiates with God. That's his skill. That's his strength. So he goes off to Laban. We know the story. Falls in love with Rachel. But then ends up marrying Leah. And he has to work seven years for the one and then seven years for the other. Beautiful. Seven and seven. Joseph, seven good years, seven bad years. It carries over. Then he now wants to have an income. And Laban says, you work another six years. And Laban keeps on changing the reward, the money, the payment. Keeps on changing it. But Jacob negotiates. He actually makes a suggestion because God appeared to him in a dream and said to him, look, the streaked rams, they are the ones that are breeding. So he now thinks, okay, so if God is going to bless me, this is where my, my reward must be. It must be in the street rams. So he chooses that. But Laban keeps on changing. Now we, we read that twice, Jacob says, my reward has been changed ten times. Twice, he says, I've worked for you 20 years. He says that two times. So he was on the point where he needed to leave. So in Genesis 31 verse 3, God says to him, get up and go. And again, instead of facing Laban, he waits until the right opportunity. Laban was three days away. He packs everything and he moves. So now Laban follows him, and he's now in trouble with Laban. Now Laban has the intent to do him harm. But God comes to Laban the night before he meets up with Jacob, and he warns him, do not do anything. So the next day, Laban tells Jacob, he says, your god told me last night not to do anything to you now jacob has now seen when the sun was setting god told him i will not leave you he saw the provision he saw how his flock had increased he saw all these good things that god was doing keeping his promise and now god tells him to leave he is obedient but he does not trust god he makes a little plan you know how am i going to go there So, after they parted, Laban and Jacob parted ways, probably the next day, God causes angels to appear to Jacob. And he says, Machanaim. There's two camps. So now he sees he has the protection. Even Laban told him, your God is protecting you because he stopped me from doing something. So he knows God is protecting him. So he's obedient, but he doesn't trust God. So he keeps on going. And now he thinks... You know, if I get Esau, maybe he'll kill me. So he sends some scouts. and He says, just find out. They come back and they say, Esau's coming with 400 men. Doesn't say that Esau is planning to kill you. But he decides, okay, I need to make a plan. Maybe God is not going to be able to protect me. Let me send something on. So he's obedient, but he doesn't trust God. And then he gets to a place. And Here I'm going to write these two words, I'm not going to try and explain them, but I'm writing them because of the poetic beauty of it. So this, that's the Yabok River. The meaning of the Yabok River is to empty. To empty itself out, it empties itself out into the Jordan River. It means to empty, it's a vessel that whatever is inside there, it empties itself out completely. This is Abok. It is translated as to wrestle. But it means dusty, to become dusty. When you get emptied out until there's nothing and God keeps on twisting, twisting, pushing, until there's absolutely no moisture left, you've dried out completely, you're now dust. Now it calls to memory a couple of scriptures. in Promise to Abram, your seat will be like dust. Promise to, to Jacob himself, your seat will be like dust. So, he wrestles with a man at this river until he becomes dust. Now, we have a lot of text in the Bible that likens man with trees. And quite often those trees are standing by water. So their roots are in the water. Um, even a vine. We are branches. He's the vine. We are rooted in Him. Jesus Himself used that parable. So let's just go to... Psalm 1 verse 3. But he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Okay, let's just hold it there. So this is a physical picture of a tree by water. But what is this water? Can we go one verse prior to this? Psalm 1 verse 2. They will see what the water is. There it is. His delight is in the law of God and he meditates on the law. So meditating on the law of God. That's the water. That's the spiritual water that we need. That's why Jesus stood up and said, I'm the water. Anybody that thirsts comes to me and drink. We can also look at um, Jeremiah 17, verse 7. And in Jeremiah 17, verse 7, he says, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord. And then verse 8 says, For he shall be like a tree that is planted by waters. So, waters, according to Jeremiah, it's to trust. That's trust. So you have to meditate on God and you have to trust in God. Then you water. Then you have in water. So in botany, anybody here a botanist? Okay, so that you pass biology at school. Okay. So if I use the term turgor, have you heard of that? No. Okay. So today you are getting a lesson. So turgor <laughs> happens in a cell. Through a process of meiosis, it absorbs water into the cell and the cell plasma then expands until it has pressure and it expands to the cell walls. And as all cells absorb water, the plant becomes rigid. And that is turgid. That's turgor. Turgor is this whole process of eventually becoming rigid and firm. So if a plant is taken out of water, it loses that rigidity. It becomes weakened. It withers. The same with us spiritually. We have to stand in the water and we have to constantly absorb the water to be righteous. We cannot be righteous on our own. We have to stick to the water. So there's a Hebrew word that describes turgor. I'm not going to write the Hebrew. It is just charar. So, from Sharar, there comes a, there's a couple of words that are associated with Sharar. One of them is this first part Shar or Tsar for the Russians. Tsar, like in Sarah, it means prince, princess. A Tsar is a ruler. So, what does that have to do with Turgor? It's elevated, it's lifted up, it stands out. Because it has absorbed something that the rest didn't absorb. It stands up, it stands out. So a prince is somebody that absorbs more than the others and therefore stands out. They are elevated. So an interesting thing, if you go back to Genesis 32 verse 28, he says there that Jacob is like a prince that has power with God. So that word power is this Shara. He has power with God. So, he has elevated. Now, when you look in a concordance, you will see that the name Israel is quite often referred to as being a prince of God. I have a problem with that, and maybe I should write the, the name Israel. So, if we look at the name Israel, it starts with a Ut. And it's the smallest letter, but it should not be ignored. So, If we talk about being a prince of God, we only look at that. Sar, El, El for Elohim, prince of God. Then we neglect the youth. So the youth comes from there. You have to be righteous. In other words, Jacob had to have some righteousness in him. But up until then, he didn't even trust in God. He obeyed him, but he didn't trust him. So what did God do? He emptied him until he was dusty. Because God cannot fill you completely if you retain something for safety, if you rely on your own strength or your own talent, your own skill sets, maybe you rely on something that you, you know, somebody you have a connection, so you rely on them, and you don't totally trust on God. He can't put new wine into an old wine skin. He has to empty it out. He has to. You have to be dried out. We have to be. When we meet with God, we have to be ready to be completely dried out in front of him. Because he sees everything. He sees absolutely everything. We cannot hide anything. So, we have this picture of Jacob wrestling a man. The Hebrew says, Ish, it was a man. But commentators say it was an angel or God that he wrestled with. And it says he prevailed and the man could not, he had a grip on him and the man could not overpower him. Now, if it was really an angel, of course if it was really God so maybe this was a man but maybe it was God limiting himself to the power of a man because later on Jacob said I saw the face of God but this man at a certain point they have wrestled until until he was dusty he was now dry now it's time for him to be filled up so he says let me go next time that the sun is mentioned is right there. The sun was about to rise. From the moment the sun went down until the sun went up, 20 years, 20 years of trial, 20 years of struggling. It was a night time of 20 years for Jacob because now he sees the face of God. Now the light is shining in his life. The light of God is now entering his vision. This is what's filling him. The light of God is now starting to fill him. So he tells God, this man, I will not let you go. Reminds me of Bohemian Rhapsody. Let me go. I will not let you go. Let me go. I will not let you go. So the man says to him, let me go. Jacob calls into remembrance. What did God say to him? I will not leave you. Now he's about to leave him. So he says, I will not let you go. I will not let you go. First, bless me. So he remembers. God made a promise. He's fulfilled this promise up to now. And now he's about to leave. And he says, don't leave me. Bless me. So God says, okay. You will no longer be Jacob. You will now be Israel. That's his blessing. That's his blessing right there. Because you are now the righteousness of God. So, we see him walking away with a limp, because the man touched his hip. Jacob's strength lied in his negotiation skills. He lost it. He had no more negotiation skills. The Hebrew word is beautiful. It says, the sinew that was touched is git chanashay. I wrote it down here, nashe, and I didn't write down the meaning of it, so... This is to lift, and this is to forget. So how do we get lifting and forgetting together? If I take something and I uproot it, and I push it away from me, I will eventually forget about it. If you, for instance, ladies, you have Tupperware. Somebody comes and visits, and you fill the leftovers in there, and you give it to them. When it leaves your house, you've pushed it away you will forget about that Tupperware. It will happen to you. It is not something done on purpose. It's the act of pushing away. So we know that God forgives our sins, and we say that He forgets it, but He doesn't forget it. He just does not remember it anymore because remembrance is to call it. We say, I recall something. I announce it. So if He announces your iniquities day after day after day, Then he remembers it. He chooses not to do that. We have Jesus standing in front of him. There's nobody, no accuser that can come in front of him and accuse you to remind him. So he does not forget. He just does not remember. So the raising up, this forms part. This forms part of the name of Moses to be lifted up out of water. And he's the rescuer of Israel. So the act of lifting up and bear and carry away is to forget. So, this sinew at the back, this thigh muscle, the Jews remember a lot of holidays by eating feasts. This is the one thing, the changing of name Israel, that they observe by not eating a piece of meat, by forgetting, by pushing it away. It's not a specific day. It's every mealtime. Every mealtime when there's meat on the table, they are reminded, we are the righteousness of God. We are the righteousness of God. Every meal that they take on the table, that is how God reminds them. So coming back to our identity, when Jacob took a stone and he anointed it, he said, this is the place, this is the house of God. So in Hebrew, the word stone is even. Actually, they pronounce it even. And Eben is the picture of his father. Ben is son. It's the strength of the house. And the seed that comes out of the house is the son. You combine father and son. Father and son being made one. Jesus said, I'm going away so that you can be where I am. I'm in the father and the father in me. So that we and the father can be one. And that's the place. That's the house of God. So he was prophesying what the house of God would be. Us. That's where our identity lies. We are created in his image. He placed a representation of himself that has absorbed his light in us. He has created us to be joined with him. One. That's where our identity lies. But we like Jacob we come to places where we believe God. We're obedient to him, but we don't trust fully. And people's lives are shattered because they are not firmly rooted. So a picture comes to mind. Have you ever imagined or maybe seen, well, you all have imagination. Imagine a group of kids playing with a stick horse. You know what a stick horse is? They hold it and they run, they gallop. You ask them, what are they doing? They say, "We're riding our horses." Yeah. But you know what? They are carrying the thing that they say is carrying them. Yeah. It's like faith. Your faith is supposed to carry you. How often do we carry our faith? Yeah. How tiring is that? If we learn to trust on God, our faith will carry us, yeah. instead of us carrying the faith and pre- presenting a picture of ourselves being faith-driven. We are the righteousness of God. We're doing all of this. We're obedient to God, but we don't trust Him. Now, when you find yourself in a situation, trials, the end of 20-year trial, he was looking at his dream being shattered. Esau was around the corner. He didn't know what Esau's intentions were, but his dream was about to be shattered. How many of us sit at the steps? where our dreams are about to be shattered. And we don't have answers. We don't know where to go. The answers don't lie in education. They don't lie in social media. They don't lie in excess of living. They don't lie in Google. (laughs) By the way, Wednesday, this Wednesday, Google is 21 years old, so it couldn't have given us answers prior to that. So where's our answer lying? in us. Our identity. That's where your answer lies. In your identity. So, I want us to pray. I want to pray. Our God. Our Heavenly Father. Please reveal to us who we really are. How much of ourselves have we held on to for security's sake? Just to be sure we can make it. We hold on to something. Reveal to us what we think lacks in your plan. Because God's plan has to be perfect. So he needs to reveal to us what we think he lacks. Why do we hold on to this? So that we can learn to let go. And let us ask him for a blessing. Not an external blessing, but like Jacob. Change our character. Change our understanding of him. So as a last text... I want us to go to Revelation 1, verse 13. And we go back to Jeremiah, the loin cloth, the cloth that he had around his, his hips. There we see, in the midst of the seven candlesticks, which speaks of the churches, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girded around the paps with a golden girdle. So here stands Jesus, no longer a cotton girdle around him, but a golden one, it's purified. It's no longer around the hips because Israel had to present God through keeping the law, through their own works. By being obedient, by working, they were able to present God, but they failed. Now he wears it around his breast, So it's talks of his love. So we are purified and we are fulfilling, we as a church, can now, through our love that we share amongst each other, we can fulfill this vision. And that's the end of my story.